We're living in a world and a time where it's really hard to find anybody speaking truth. Believe me, y'all, I ain't lying. A lot of preachers talking faith. A lot of preachers talking love, but they ain't preaching the word of God that's inspired from above. That's because you go to church and pay your tithes. Don't really mean anything if your heart ain't right. We gotta speak truth to reach the youth. From where we at it, get a word to the old folks too. So get your Bible, pen, and pad. Round everybody up like mom and dad. And let them know it's time for the podcast. Which one? You got the Welcome, welcome to another edition of Flipping Pages, the podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Elliot Sean Williams. Hope everybody is staying safe, healthy, and well as we continue to endure everything that we're dealing with around the globe. Because it's not just about what's happening here in America, but this is a global concern and it's a global fight that we in so let's continue to pray let's continue to be vigilant and watchful let's continue to be salt and light so that we can point people to the blessed hope the lord jesus the christ you know it's going on over a month now since the government basically shut the country down and ordered to stay at home shelter in place order to stop the spread of the COVID-19 virus. And this has had a tremendous impact on many people's lives, not just because of the virus and people being infected and people losing their lives, but also it has had a tremendous impact on our economy. Many businesses have closed down. People have been laid off and have lost their jobs right now i think the number of people who have filed for unemployment is right at about almost 30 million people right here in our own backyard in our nation have applied for unemployment because of the national shutdown and that has had a tremendous impact on people's lives not only financially but also emotionally and mentally Another thing is they ordered that uh, no groups of 10 or more people can gather at one time, which is an order that goes along with the social distancing. And this has had an impact not only in society, but also in the church as well. Because, of course, we that's what we do when we come together to worship and to fellowship. And this has opened the door to a lot of um, dialogue back and forth concerning what the church should do, what some pastors or what pastors should do, because we have some pastors on one side saying that they're gonna continue to have church and to fellowship and make their services available. And then we have some on the other side saying, well, it's not wise for us to meet and gather because of everything that's going on and we should uh, adhere to the orders that have been put in place by the government and by our cities and our states. And there are people on both sides of the fence concerning this issue that have some valid points, both sides. And what we're going to do today, we're going to look at some headlines and we're going to discuss this whole issue because it brings up the question, what is the difference between testing God 
and trusting God. Because some say there's a thin line between testing and trusting. Some say, well, they're actually the total opposite. Well, we're going to discuss it today on Flipping Pages. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to be with us before we get into our topic for the day. Father, we thank you that this is truly the day that you have made. Lord, we thank you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the hope which you've called us to. We thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. And we ask you, Holy Spirit of God, to lead and guide us in all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, just to uh, get a perspective on what's going on and what's happening worldwide with this COVID-19 virus, worldwide about 2.8 million people have been affected, uh, have been infected with the virus. And about 800,000 have recovered from the virus and about 200,000 have died from the virus. What is encouraging about that is that we have more people that is recovering from the virus than those that are dying. I mean, any loss of life is devastating, especially to the families that are affected by it. But it's encouraging to know that many people, many more people are recovering. You know, just here in America alone, there's been about 53,000 people that have died from the virus, but there've been over 100,000 that have recovered. And we wanna continue to, to, to pray for and lift up and to support our healthcare workers, our government officials, and everybody that's working day in and day out to fight and combat this virus. But what I wanna do right now, I wanna read some headlines to you guys just to kind of paint a picture and kind of lay out what we're going to be talking about for the duration of the show today, talking about testing God versus trusting God. But let me read these headlines here. Virginia pastor who preached God is larger than COVID-19 dies from the virus. Bishop Gerald Glenn told his congregation God is larger than this deadly virus, died of COVID-19 the day before Easter. The first thing I asked God is why, said Byron Nevels, a church elder, in a speech posted on the church's social media. The bishop had a service on March 22nd, where in a sermon given to a crowd of congregants, he said, I firmly believe that God is larger than this deadly virus, according to a CBS affiliate. The next day, Virginia banned gatherings of 10 or more but had already been encouraging social distancing. Virginia did not issue a stay-at-home order until a week later. Here's another headline. Harlem Church mourns 11 members who died from COVID-19. Dr. Johnny Green, senior pastor at Harlem's Mount Nabal Baptist Church, said his congregation believes that faith in God is not authentic unless it's been tested. Recent weeks have absolutely been a test, he said. And here's one more headline from right here in my home state of Louisiana. Pastor Tony Spill, the pastor of Life Tabernacle Church in Baton Rouge, was issued a misdemeanor summons last month 
for repeatedly violating a state ban on large gatherings amid the coronavirus pandemic. Despite the charges, he has continued to hold services, including an Easter Sunday service, which was said to be attended by over 1,300 people. Now, some would say that a few of these pastors were testing God. They were putting God to the test. And what they should have done or should be doing is cooperating with the orders that have been put in place to protect people from the virus. Some say that they are putting people at risk by still gathering and having services. I mean, it's gotten so to the point that some people in the national media have literally mocked and made fun of the pastor in Virginia who lost his life from the virus saying that he basically put God to the test and failed because he said that God was bigger than the virus. He turned around and died from the virus. So they basically are mocking him and making the faith out to be a joke. Then on the other hand, we have some pastors who are following everything that the uh, government and their local affiliates and governors and mayors have laid out as far as the social distancing and the, uh, uh, the gathering of no more than 10. They have totally shut down their ministries and their churches. And, and some of them are going to doing online streaming, all in the name of keeping people safe during this coronavirus. But what happens when that violates our constitutional rights as citizens to worship and to practice freedom of religion? And this is what I, what I mean by that, because here's one more headline I give to you uh, about the governor in Indiana. This headline says, Indiana governor says to churches, worship as I say or be shut down. Here's the report. The governor of Indiana is telling Christians how worship must be done with stricter rules than for all other public gatherings. And note that it says he's telling Christians. And he say he's telling Muslims or Hindus or... No, he's telling Christian churches. He's putting stronger restrictions on the church. And this is what he proposes. It says to continue serving their communities Fake institutions are directed as follows. Church buildings and other physical locations for worship should be closed. Live streams or other virtual services are best. The minimal number of necessary people should be used at all times for any service. Staff and volunteers who are not speaking should wear masks. Now, this is what he says for drive-in services, because some churches are having drive-in services where they're having the people just drive up to the church, stay in their cars in the parking lot, and the minister is ministering to people as they sit in their cars, which is fine because that's in line with the social distancing. But this is what he says, or what he wants people to do. It says, attendees must be inside vehicles at all times. Attendees should not interact physically with clergy, staff, or participants in other vehicles. 
vehicles should contain only members of a single household. Do not bring your neighbors or others outside of your household. Cars must be spaced the equivalent of every other parking spot or approximately nine feet apart. He says no one may exit a vehicle at any time. Portable bathrooms are not allowed on the premises and no church facilities may be used. To conclude, he says the following individuals who are vulnerable at high risk for the illness should not attend. People who are 65 and older, those who have severe underlying medical conditions like heart or lung disease or diabetes or individuals who are sick. So if anybody falls in any of these categories, they can't come to church, even if it's a driver, stay in your car type of service. You can't bring no neighbors. You can't bring no visitors. You can't use the bathroom. None of that. Now, granted, I understand that we need to be safe, that we want to keep people safe, and we want to, like they say, flatten the curve and stop the spread of the virus. But man, I, I really think this is going a little bit too far because there are other, what they deem to be essential businesses things that they are allowing people to uh, attend and go to, for instance, like the grocery store. But all of this stuff that he's saying, as far as uh, people going to uh, the church, they don't have those restrictions when you go to Walmart or when you go to Kroger or Publix or wherever you may do your grocery shopping. They don't have all of these restrictions that this governor of Indiana is trying to oppose on the church so we got to ask ourselves you know what's what's really going on and happening you know i saw a press conference with the governor of new york and he was saying how in new york things are kind of uh getting better but this this governor had the nerve to say that fate didn't do this god didn't do this that we the people we did this because of our actions, you know, this is happening. And yes, I understand you want to give credit uh, to the people and to the healthcare workers and everybody like that. But man, come on, man. You don't you don't disrespect God like that. You don't disrespect prayer and faith like that. And then he turned around the next day and said, we need to continue to pray. So I'm like, dude, <laughs> you talking off both sides of your mouth. One minute you saying God ain't got nothing to do with it, and the next minute you saying we need to pray to God. So what's really going on? But we want to talk about what is the difference, is there a difference between testing God and trusting God? How can we know when we're putting God to the test? How can we know when we're truly putting our faith and our trust in God to take care of us and to protect us even in the midst of this crisis that we're going through so when we come back from the break we go into the word of god and we're gonna get right into it so stay tuned dr shami i come seeking your wisdom my wisdom is this 
It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere in your belief. Oh, you are so wise. Yes. Now, why are you carrying a two-by-four? Oh, I'm a member of the Religious Wood Bonkers, and we believe that if you hit a person on the side of the head with this holy two-by-four, they will feel nothing but pleasure and go immediately to heaven. You believe that? You said believing is all that matters. Yes, I did say that. In fact, let me send you to heaven. Hold on! You're not supposed to duck. Wait a minute. There are physical laws. Quit! Ducking. And one of those laws is that if you hit a person on the head with a two-by-four, they will experience a lot of pain. Wait, if there are physical laws to obey, then there must be spiritual laws to obey. Now, I didn't say that. Which means I may have to be concerned about truth. I may even have to examine if Jesus was who he claimed to be, which means reading the Bible. Well, now, let's not get rash. Another message from Lifeline Productions, the comic strip of radio at lifelinepro.com. All right, all right, we back from the break. And we're going to get right into it, guys. We're talking about testing God versus trusting God. And we're going to look at this and break this down because we want to see what the Word of God has to say about it. What does it mean to truly put your trust in God? Is it just believing in His existence or is it something more than that? Can we trust God with our lives in every situation that, we, that we're going through and that we're facing. How can we know the difference between putting our trust in God or testing God or tempting God foolishly? How can we know and tell the difference? Well, y'all know what we got to do to find out, right? <laughs> hey, you're listening to it, baby, flipping pages. So let's flip some pages, y'all. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. Very familiar passage of Scripture. And whenever we, someone is talking about or referring to tempting God or testing God, they normally, usually, go to this passage of Scripture here in Matthew chapter 4. And the subtitle says, Satan tempts Jesus. Or we could say he put him to the test. Verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, this is what the devil said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Verse four, but he said and answered, it is written, this is what Jesus said to Satan, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Verse 5. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Hmm. The devil even quoting the word. He shall give his angels charge over you. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Verse 7. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not tempt or test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Verse 10, Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, 
and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And of course, verse 7 is the one that we want to highlight where Jesus said, or responded to the devil by saying, It is written, you shall not tempt or test the Lord your God. So what was the passage that Jesus was referring to? Because Jesus said, is written. So in other words, he was referring to a passage in, in the Old Testament that refers to tempting or testing God. So let's flip some pages. Let's go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the passage that Jesus was referring to when he told the devil, it is written that we shouldn't tempt or test God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. I tell you what, for the sake of context, let's back up to verse 10 so we can get and read this in context. The subtitle says, Caution Against Disobedience. Now, this is God telling the children of Israel, uh, cautioning them against disobeying him. So verse 10, So it shall be, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities, which you did not build, houses full of good things, which you did not fill, heard out wells, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, verse 12 says, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. And here's our verse, 16. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. Verse 17, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies, his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you and that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord your God swore to your fathers. And of course, verse 16 is our verse where he said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. Now what happened in Massa? How did they tempt God in Massa? Well, we got to flip some more pages to find out. Well, let's flip back to the left to Exodus to find out what happened in Massa. How the children of Israel tempted God or put God to the test. Exodus 17, we're going to start reading at verse 1. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? 
Why do you tempt the Lord? Verse 3, and the people thirst for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Verse 5, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it. Then the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Verse 7. So he called the name of that place Massa and Mirabah because of the contention of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, we're talking about the difference between testing God and trusting God. What does it mean to test him or tempt him, as opposed to trusting him? And right here, it, this is what Jesus was referring to. When the, when the devil came and tried to tempt him and get him to turn uh, uh, rocks into bread and to, to get him to bow down and worship him, Jesus said, it is written, do not tempt the Lord your God. Do not put God to some kind of test. And when he said it is written, he was referring to this very passage. We read in Deuteronomy that it said, it was in Massa that y'all tested the Lord. And we just read in Exodus 17 what happened in Massa. I mean, the word Massa in Hebrew literally means test. That's what the word Massa means. It means to put to the test. And in verse 7 it said, And God called the name of that place Massa and Mirabah. Mirabah means quarrel or arguing because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, because they tested the Lord. Now here is where we find out what it means to put God to the test. It said, they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Remember in verse two, the people complained and they, they quarreled or they argued or they fussed with Moses because they didn't have any water to drink. And Moses said, man, why y'all fussing at me? Why y'all complaining to me? But in verse 3, it said they continue to complain so much so that they begin to say, why you bring us out here just to kill us in the desert? You bring us out of Egypt to kill us, our kids, and you going to kill our animals. We're going to die of thirst out here in the desert. And in verse 7, it said they begin to question was God even with them or not? And this is the thing when it comes to tempting God. To tempt God or test God is to question his existence, is to question his provision, his protection, or his will. Now, hear me clear, hear me clear, and make a note of this. There's a difference between 
questioning God and asking God a question. God don't mind us asking him a question. The word of God says if we lack wisdom, we should what? Ask of God. So God don't mind us asking him a question, but there's a difference in asking a question and questioning God. Hear me. There's a difference in asking God a question and questioning God. You see what the children of Israel were doing, they were questioning God. And what made that a problem is the fact that they just experienced the hand of God. They just experienced God had just brought him out of 400 years of bondage. They saw all the plagues and the things that God uh, did to deliver them when they was in Egypt. The Bible says all of these plagues, the frogs and the water turning into blood, all of this stuff happened to the Egyptians, but none of it affected or happened to the children of Israel when they was in Goshen. So they saw how God delivered them. They saw how God brought them through the Red Sea on dry land and how he defeated the, the Egyptians. So they experienced the hand of God. They ate the manna in the wilderness. So they had no reason to question God. They should have known from past experiences that God was able to provide water, even in the midst of a desert and a dry land. But instead of them looking back and realizing that man, we serve the true and the living God. He's more than able. He's more than enough to give us and provide everything that we need. They begin to complain and murmur and argue and fuss at Moses and shake their fists at God and wonder was he even real. They should have known that God was real because of all the things that he had just done for them. And that's why it was a problem for them to tempt God or uh, test God because to test God in this way shows a lack of faith to test God shows that you don't truly believe that God is who he says he is that you don't truly believe that God is able to save that God is able to provide when we tempt God or test God in this way it shows that we do not trust him. This is why Jesus told the devil the man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He was telling the devil, man, I'm trusting the father. I don't have to turn no stones into bread. I don't have to provide for myself because I trust the father to provide for me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We're talking about the difference between testing God and trusting him. Now, let's flip some more pages. Let's go to 1 Samuel. And we're going to look at someone who actually trusted God. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Very familiar passage of David and Goliath. And we're going to see how David trusted God even in the midst of this giant of a man. Now, for the sake of time, I encourage you to go back and read the whole chapter, but we're going to pick it up and start at verse 32. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Talking about Goliath. 
your servant would go and fight with this Philistine. Verse 33, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him, for you are youth. You're just a boy. And he is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a sheep out of the fold, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the sheep from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Verse 36, your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be one like of them, seeing that he has defiled the armies of the living God. So David was like, man, look, I done struck down a lion. I done killed a bear. Who is this uncircumcised dude out here talking uh, trash about my God, about the living God? David said, I'm going to kill him just like I killed a lion and a bear. Verse 37, moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hands of the Philistines. And Saul said to David, go, the Lord be with you. In other words, Saul looked at David and was like, hey, go ahead with your bad self. Handle your business. Now let's drop down to verse 40 for the second time. Then he, meaning David, he took his staff in his hand. And he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in his shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had. And his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. Verse 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, rubish and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog? that you come with me with a stick? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And when the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. In other words, Goliath was saying, boy, if you come out here, I'm gonna tear you up. But check out David's response. Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. <laughs> David said, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defile, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. David was talking big talk, boy. Verse 47. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Verse 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hands in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sunk into his forehead, 
and he fell on his face in the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine and with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran, stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Verse 55, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Amner, the commander of his army, Amner, who is this youth? In other words, Saul was like, man, who is this little dude? This little dude ain't no joke. This little dude that killed Goliath. We are talking about testing God versus trusting God. And back in Exodus, we looked at how the children of Israel tested God in Massa because they did not rely on God's provision. They did not remember how God had delivered them before. But here in 1 Samuel 17, the word of God says that David remembered how God delivered him from the lion and the bear. And because he knew that God had delivered them before, his trust and his faith was in the fact that if God delivered me back then, hey, he can do it again now. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's what testimonies is all about. The word of God says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The more we hear about the testimonies of God, the more we hear about the deliverance of God and the faithfulness of God, that builds our faith, that, that strengthens our trust and our belief in God to know that if he did it back then, if he did it for David, if he did it for Moses, if he did it, hallelujah, for the first uh, uh, century disciples and apostles, he can still do it for us now today. Hallelujah, glory to God. And this is why there was a huge difference between testing God and trusting God. Now, before we close it out today, let's just define what it means to test and what it means to trust. To test means to question or examine something or someone. To question or examine something or someone is a test. It's like when you got a test in school, they wanted to know examine if you knew the material. So they gave you a test or a quiz because they wanted to examine your knowledge. But what does it mean to trust? To trust means to have an assurance or reliance in something or someone. To have an assurance or reliance in something or someone. That's what it means to trust someone, to be able to rely on them, to have an assurance that this person, a thing is gonna come through, that it is trustworthy, that you can rely on it. Now remember how the children of Israel responded to not having water back in Exodus 17. They argued, they fussed at Moses. Oh, you bring us out here to kill us. You gonna kill us, our kids, our animals. You know, we gonna die of thirst. They had no reliance, no trust in the fact that God was able to deliver them. They tested God because they failed to trust him. But then we see David. 
<laughs> David said, look, he delivered me from the bear. He, he saved me from the lion. So who is this Philistine? This dude ain't nothing. David said, you come to me with a javelin and a, and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Of the Lord of hosts. And he going to deliver me just like he saved me from the lion and the bear. And what happened when David put his faith and trust in the Lord? He slayed the giant. Hallelujah. Why? Because he trusted the Lord. And that's the difference between testing and trusting. You see, here's the key. Here's the key. You can't trust someone you don't know. If you don't know someone, then you can't trust them because you don't know what to expect. You don't know if they're going to show up, if they're going to leave you hanging. You don't know nothing. So you can't trust them. But when you know someone, when you are in relationship with someone, you know how they're going to act. You know how they're going to respond. Even if it's bad, you still know, you still know not to trust them. But in this case, when we trust the Lord, we trust him because we know he is faithful. We know his what his word says, that he is a God that cannot lie, that his ear is not too heavy that it cannot hear, his hand is not too short that it cannot reach and save. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We can trust God at his word. You see, the children of Israel, they weren't trusting God. God had delivered them. He had saved them. He had brought them across the Red Sea. And they still didn't trust him. So many of us, man, God has spared our lives. He, had had, he has had mercy and grace on our lives. But the minute we get in some kind of trouble or crisis or something come up, we go to complaining and murmuring and worrying. We don't trust God. But the only way you can trust someone is to know them. So we have to check ourselves. If we are lacking in the area of trust, could it be that we truly don't know the God of the Bible like we think we do? We have to step back. You know, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says we have to examine ourselves to see whether or not we're truly in the faith. It says if we what? Fail the what? Test. <laughs> if we fail the test, it could be that we're not truly in the faith. If we're testing God instead of trusting him because we know that he is a deliverer, because we know that he is a God of his word, so my encouragement to you today, saints of God, let's trust God, even in the midst of what we're going through. Even in the midst of a crisis, Christ, hallelujah, is still trustworthy. He's still on the throne. God is still sovereignly in control. Even in a dry place, hallelujah, he's more than able to maintain and to sustain and take care and provide for his people. But we have to trust him. Are you trusting God? Even in the midst of what we're going through, all over this world with this virus, are you trusting God in the midst of this? Or are you testing him? Are you questioning what God is doing? Are you questioning the sovereignty of God? Oh, where's God at? Why is God allowing this to happen? 
you like the children of Israel complaining to Moses. Oh, you just bring us out here to kill us. You know, all these people out here dying. Where God at? I got to put on this mask and these gloves because I don't want to die. You ain't got no reliance, no trust in God whatsoever. Or are you like David? Where are the men and the women of God that's going to rise up like David in the face of a giant situation, in the face of a giant crisis, and say, my God is able to deliver me because I know what he done for me in the past. I know how he saved me in the past. And this situation ain't no bigger than that. If he did it back then, he can do it again today. Because I trust him. Now, does that mean we don't take precaution? No. That don't mean we go out here and, 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 and be foolish. No, we don't do that. But at the same time, we are trusting God. I'm not putting my faith and my trust in a mask or some latex gloves. No, I trust God. Now, if wearing a mask or, or some gloves or whatever is going to make somebody else feel uh, at ease or comfortable around me, well, then, yeah, okay, I put it on because I don't want to cause somebody else to stumble. But I'm not wearing it because I think this is what's going to save me. No, my trust is in the living God. Like David said, I'm trusting, hallelujah, in the Lord of hosts. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I hope you got something out of this today. I know I did. Hallelujah. Sometimes you just got to encourage yourself. Hallelujah. Yes, indeed. But let's trust God. Let's trust him. Let's know and believe that God is able. And if you find yourself uh, uh, struggling with trusting God, read his word. That's what it's for. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing the word of God, get into his word. Read the word of God. Build up your faith. Strengthen your trust in the Lord. Because he is able, more than able, hallelujah, to see us through this. No matter what it is. Hallelujah. Well, once again, I'm Pastor Elliot. I want to thank you for tuning in to the podcast today. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, please share it share it, and then share it again. Hallelujah. With those that you're in fellowship with, your co-workers, your family members, encourage somebody today to put their faith and their trust in God. Hallelujah. Well, until next time, may the mercy, grace, and peace of God be yours in abundance.